Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. Our message this morning is on the subject of prayer. And the title of the message is Three Things Your Prayer Should Not Be. But this message kind of has, has two titles to it. The secondary title is The Most Important Word in the Bible on Prayer. And we will tell you what that word is this morning. Please enjoy. you have your places in Luke chapter 11, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read two verses this morning, verses 9 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And him that knocketh it shall be opened. The title of the message this morning is three things your prayers should never be. Three things your prayers should never be. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this glorious Sunday morning. We're so thankful that we got to hear this missionary speak. Lord, his, his testimony and his heart for the mission field, may it encourage us and may it motivate us for missions that have a heart for missionaries and lord i pray specifically for his ministry lord i pray that he get the support very quickly that he's seeking lord i pray that you'd be with our service this morning be with us as we read the bible as we talk about your word may it bathe our hearts and change our lives for us is in jesus christ's precious name i pray Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this message is Three Things Your Prayer Should Never Be. However, um, this message kind of has two titles. It kind of has two titles, and the secondary title is this. The secondary title of this, mis- this message is The Most Important Word on Prayer in the, in the Bible. I'm going to give you this morning, I'm going to give you the absolute most important word on prayer that's in the word of God. It's the most important one. Now, the funny thing is, is this word, it's only mentioned one time. And you may say, Brother Brett, are you telling me that you're saying that the most important word on prayer in the Bible is only mentioned one time? It's only in there once and you're telling us it's the most important word on prayer in the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. So here in this story, what we have is we have the disciples that came to Jesus and they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, you pray all the time. Teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray. So then he gives them an example. He gives them a parable. And the parable that he gives them is in verses 5 and 8 of this chapter. And in this parable, in this example that Jesus gives, is the most important word on prayer in the Bible. Let's look back up at verse number 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me, and I having nothing to eat and nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. 
I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, here comes the word, here comes the word, get ready for it. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That's the word. That's the most important word in the Bible on prayer is that word, importunity. And you know, some of you have never heard that word before in your lives. And you're saying, Brother Brad, I've never even heard of that word. It's only in the Bible once. How in the world could it be the most important word on prayer in the word of God? But it is. It's an amazing word in regards to prayer in the word of God. You know, Christmas is getting closer. Ooh, you guys know me. I love me some Christmas. Man, after, after Thanksgiving, I have to wait till after Thanksgiving because that's the only time my wife will allow me to play, play Christmas music. I'd do it in August if I, if I had a choice. But, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving, I, I get out the Christmas music and I put out the Christmas lights and I put my tree up real quick. And, I, man, I just love Christmas time. One of the things I love about Christmas time is I love listening. I love watching on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. 24 hours of a Christmas story. I, man, I'll probably watch that movie three or four times during Christmas because it's such a great movie. It's just a tradition. And, you know, we got old Ralphie, old Ralphie trying to, trying to get that, 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 that uh, official Red Ryder 200-shot range model uh, air rifle. And, you know, he's trying to get that BB gun. And what did mom say? Mom said, you'll shoot your eye out. And what did the teacher say? You'll shoot your eye out. He even went to Santa. What did Santa say? You'll shoot your eye out. But he persisted and he persisted and he stayed at it. And what do you know? At the end of the movie, he got his official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle. He got his BB gun. That has a lot to do with importunity. Let's look back at the scripture. Uh, continue reading in verse number 8. Because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Let me give you the de a definition of the word importunity. The Greek word for importunity is very hard. It's not the easiest word to define. And about the only word in the English language that can really come close to defining or meaning the same thing as this Greek word is this English word of importunity. Let me give you a definition. If you write stuff down, write this definition down. We're going to re refer to this definition later. But the definition of the word importunity is this. Shameless, urgent consistency. Shameless, urgent consistency. Let me tell you something this morning. A prayer that is prayed with importunity gets answered. 
You're going to be hard pressed to find, to, to pray a prayer with importunity and that prayer not get answered. Importunity are prayers that God will answer. Well, you know, there, there's a phrase in another part of the Bible that it's not the same thing, but it's very similar to this Greek word that stands for importunity. And you'll find that in James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, effectual fervent is not the same, but it's very similar to shameless, urgent consistency. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you three things that your prayer should never be. I'm going to tell you what those three things have to do with the word importunity. And then I'm going to give you two biblical illustrations of importunity. Now, I usually don't do this, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you my outline out front. I'm going to give you my outline right at the top so you can help me remind me what it is later on. So here's my three points this morning. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are. Number one... Our prayers should never be hazy. Number two, our prayers should never be crazy. And number three, our prayers should never be lazy. So our prayers shouldn't be hazy. Our prayers shouldn't be crazy. And our prayers shouldn't be lazy. Let's go ahead and talk about the first one. I want you to hold your places in in Luke 11. We're going to come back there later, but we're going, to, we're going to skip around a little bit in the Word of God this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians, book of Philippians chapter 4. So once again, while you're turning there, we're going to, we've got three points this morning. Don't let your prayers be hazy. Don't let your prayers be crazy. And don't let your prayers be lazy. And then we're going to talk about two biblical illustrations of importunity. And I'm going to give you all just another second to get to Philippians chapter 4. So number one this morning, we have do not let your prayers be hazy. Let's look at Philippians chapter four, verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the first two words, it says, be careful, be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about it. Don't have anxiety about it. So many times we pray about things and then we still have worry about them and we still have anxiety about them. Man, once you give it to God, let God have it. Okay? Be careful for nothing. But it says, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I do not think that we ever feel closer to God than when he answers a specific request of ours. When we have a specific prayer request and we give that request specifically to God and he specifically answers that request, I don't see how we're ever closer to God than we are in that, right mo- in that exact moment. Man, we, we, say, we, we go and say, God, you answered that prayer exactly the way I prayed it. And man, it just—it becomes real to us. That's when you know it's a God thing, and it's something that only God can do. 
Too often in our prayers, and I'm going to tell you, I'm the world's worst at this. I need this as much as you do, okay? I'm the world's worst at this. But too many times in our prayers, we pray, uh, we pray very hazy. Let me give you an example of that. Lord, bless the missionaries. Lord, help the missionaries. We have to get out of that habit. Oh, but Brother Brett, there are missionaries. We should pray for them. We should pray for help. I know that. Let me tell you something, though. Uh, Lord, bless the missionaries and Lord, help the missionaries. That's very hazy. It's not very specific. If you want to pray for the missionaries, you got to pray something very specific. Specific. Dear Lord, be with Brother Jimmy Queen as he gets that uh, money to buy that plane. So when he goes to Sicily, he can drop Bibles off in the 1040 window. Lord, he's been, he's been trying to uh, get, raise money for that plane for so long. I pray, Lord, this month he get a big donation and get closer to getting the money to buy that plane. That's very specific. And that's the way he wants us to pray. He doesn't want us to pray hazy. He wants us to pray specific. When, I, when it's birthday time for my boys and I, I sit my boys down and I say, Colin, Caleb, what do you want for your birthday? They don't say, well, Dad, just bless me with a toy. Just give me any toy. It doesn't matter. Just bless me with a toy. And that's, not what he, that's not what they say. They, they say, I want this, this, and this. They got the list ready. They know where to get it, what color it is, and how many they want. Okay. That's how they make a request to me. That's how we should make requests to God. You know, we have to get out of this habit of praying in generalities. Lord, give me a good day. Okay? Well, you know, a good day, a good day for you might not be a good day. A good day for God might not be a good day for you. A good day for God is when we're closer to Christ. Sometimes tribulation is how that comes to be. Whereas a good day for me and you is when we get everything on our little list done. So maybe better if we say, Lord, help me to get done everything I got to do today. That's what you want. Ask for it. <laughs> exactly. Lord, help me with the honeydews. But, you know, I'm going to give us a challenge this week. Me and, me and you both. Let's take this challenge this week. When we pray this week, let's not pray hazy. Let's pray specific. Let's try our best to pray for specific things and specific needs because God doesn't answer hazy requests. He answers specific requests. You may say, oh, Brother Brett, I never thought about it that way. That sounds good. In fact, Brother Brett, I'm going to start that right now. Lord, the black Mercedes with the leather interior. Gimme, gimme. Say, Brother Brett, that's pretty specific. Which brings me to my next point. Number one, your prayer should never be what? Never should be what? Number two, your prayer should never be what? Crazy. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 this morning. Number one, your prayer should never be hazy. We need to pray specific for specific things and specific needs. Don't pray in generalities. And number two, our prayers don't need to be crazy. James chapter four, and what we're going to do is we're going to read verse number three. 
give y'all just another second to get there. James chapter 4, verse number 3. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Upon your lusts. You know what a crazy prayer is? A crazy prayer is a prayer that's for me, a prayer that's for my lusts. A crazy prayer is a prayer that goes against the will of God. That is a crazy prayer. Uh, you, you know, when, when we pray, you know what we always say at the end? What do we always say? We say, in Jesus' name. Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, the Bible tells us to do it. But what it means when we say in Jesus' name, it means we're praying for his sake and for his glory. That's why we pray. We don't pray for us. We pray for him. We pray for his glory. We pray for his sake. So how do you know if a prayer you're praying is crazy or not? Well, let's say you're praying for somebody who's ill. You're praying for somebody that's sick. And you say, Lord, I pray that the chemo will kill those cancer cells in his body. That's a very specific request. It's a very good prayer. It's a very specific, very good prayer. But here's what happens. There are some things we pray about and we know it's God's will. If you're praying for someone to be saved, bless God, keep praying it because you're praying in the will of God. You are praying in the will of God if you're praying for somebody's salvation. God didn't say, okay, these people, I'm going to create these people. They're going to heaven. These people are going to go to hell. No, my Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, let me tell you something. When you're praying for somebody to be saved, you keep praying it because there's no question you're praying in the will of God. You know, um, if you're praying to restore a marriage, Keep praying. You're praying in the will of God. That's God's will. We know it's God's will. And so if you're praying to restore marriage, keep praying. If you're praying for someone to get over an addiction, bless God, don't ever change. Don't ever let up. You keep praying for them to get over that addiction because there's no doubt, according to this Bible, that you're praying in the will of God. When you're praying for someone to come back to God who's turned their back on God, you keep praying. You don't stop. Because you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're praying in the will of God. You see, every time you pray for a Bible principle, every time you pray for a Bible precept, you know 100% you are praying in the will of God. But every once in a while, we'll come up with a situation where we don't know what God's will is. And in those situations, let me give you an example. There are times you can pray for healing and man, God shows up. Man, God shows up and God does something so sensational and God does something so miraculous that there is no doubt that God was, God's hand was in that. Sometimes you pray for healing and man, God shows up. Then other times you can pray specifically for somebody's healing, but God can still say, I'm going to bring them home. I've seen that. You know, I have been in, I went and visited people on hospice. You know, 
And let me say this, just because somebody is on hospice, that doesn't mean anything. I've seen people being put on hospice and make full recoveries. God can do anything he wants. But, you know, I've also been to the hospice. and I've talked to men and ladies in that care and prayed for them. And maybe up to a certain point, I pray for their healing. Then at some point, God tells me and God reveals to me, I'm going to take that person home. When that happens, do I still continue to pray for their healing? Or is God going to change my prayer? God changes my prayer. I'm still praying for them, but now I'm praying that the family is prepared and that the family is ready for what's coming. In that situation, God changes your prayer. We want to pray the will of God. That's what we want. You know, sometimes, sometimes our prayer, sometimes we don't know our prayer is crazy until it comes out of our mouth. When I was in Bible college, I prayed that this girl would be my wife. I prayed for it. I even fasted for a week, brother. I fasted for a week so this, this girl would be my wife. Now, praise the Lord. He didn't answer my request. Praise Jesus. He didn't answer my request. He had something better for me, and he knew it. But I prayed specifically. I prayed very specifically for that girl. I even dated her for a little while. But God changed my heart about it. Changed her heart, too. But, uh, but you know, I was praying very specifically for that, but at some point, God changed my heart, and God changed my prayer on it. So if you start praying about something that isn't a Bible principle and isn't a Bible precept, and at some point God reaches into your heart and changes your prayer, then see, and he says, no, I don't want you to pray this way anymore. I want you to pray that way. Then do it because you don't want to pray outside the will of God. Because anytime you pray anything that is contrary to the will of God, that's a crazy prayer. So number one, we don't need to pray what? Number two, we don't need to pray what? And number three, we don't need to pray what? Lazy. Take your uh, flip back over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Just flip back over there to Luke 5. I want you to notice the way the disciples, uh, the the way Jesus told the disciples to pray. Look back in verse number 5 of Luke 11. It says, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? I shall go unto him at midnight. You know, if you're going unto him at midnight, he better be a good friend. And say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Hold on a second. How many loaves? Three loaves. Man, do you notice what that request wasn't? That request wasn't hazy. It wasn't hazy. He didn't say, hey, I need some food. He didn't say, I need some loaves. He said, I need specifically three loaves. It was not a hazy request. And then he says, uh, for a friend of mine. It wasn't for him. It was for somebody else. So we know it wasn't crazy. And it says, he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. The door is now shut. Now I want you to show you that it wasn't lazy. What's, what's going on out there? Hey, hey, neighbor. Hey, look, I, I've got this friend of mine, and uh, he's come from a long journey, and me and the wife, we forgot to go to the grocery store, and we need three loaves of bread. 
Is there any way you can bring me down? No, man. Man, we asleep up here. It's late. It's midnight. The kids is in bed. I got to work tomorrow. Go away. I'll help you tomorrow. Slam. <laughs> he doesn't understand. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm asleep. Man, man, my, my buddy, he... He, he's, he's got to have some food. He's got to, well, he's not going to get any. It's after midnight. The kids is in bed. I got to work. We're all asleep up here. Go away. I'll help you in the morning. Slam. <laughs> okay, fine. Take it. Take the bread. Go away. Take what I got. Just leave us alone. Go away. I'm tired of you bothering me. And that's how Jesus says we should pray. That's how Jesus said we should pray. Is it not? That's exactly this is what he's saying here. Finally, the guy is going to come down and the guy is going to give him the bread just to get rid of him. And that's how the a shameless, urgent consistency. You know what we call that in prayer? We call that importunity. You're going to be hard pressed to pray a prayer of importunity and it not be answered. Now, let me give you a couple illustrations of this. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Don't let your prayers be hazy. Don't let your prayers be crazy. Don't let your prayers be lazy. While you're turning to Matthew 15, I'm going to read a few verses in that chapter, but I'll go ahead and read one verse and get started here. And that's verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a Bible theologian. But I do believe this is the only time in Jesus' life where he left the coast of Israel. Now, when he was a baby, his parents, to keep him away from Herod, he was a little bambino. They took him down to Egypt to get him away from Herod when he was a baby. That's true. But other than that, this is uh, Jesus spent his entire adult life, his whole ministry inside the borders of Israel. We can find nowhere else where he left Israel in his, in his adult life. And do you know what caused him to leave Israel for the very first time? It was a mother's prayer of importunity. You see, God will go anywhere. He will go to any lengths to answer a prayer of importunity. Say, well, was this an emperor he was going to go see? No, no. This was just a mom whose daughter was vexed by a devil and she knew that there was only one hope for her daughter. And that was Jesus Christ. There was only one hope. So Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon and he leaves Israel to answer a Canaanite woman's prayer. This is a Canaanite woman. But you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. You have access to a God that wants to answer your prayers if you pray them with importunity. Verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. I want you to see first she recognizes him as not only a Jew, but she recognizes him as a Messiah. She recognizes him as deity. She believes that he is God. Continues, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast, cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, the son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now I want you to see that this wasn't a physical battle. 
This wasn't an emotional battle. This was a spiritual battle. This mother was fighting a spiritual battle in the case of her daughter. Now, let me tell you something, Mom. Let me tell you something, Dad. When your kids grow up and get out of the house and they get on their own, and it comes to their own spirituality, that's something that only God can do. And it's something only God can work into them. I've got, my, I've got my two boys, and man, I can do my best to teach them how to be a Christian. But you know what? Um, I can't make two little Jesuses out of them. Their spirituality is going to be between them and God. This woman has come to this situation where she knows that there's nothing she can do about it. This is beyond her help. This is beyond man's help. She's helpless in this situation. And that's usually when importunity comes in. Verse 23, but he answered and said, but he answered her not a word. He didn't say anything to her. She made this request and he didn't say a word. And the disciples, they were like, Rabboni, send her away. She crieth after us. Get rid of her. Send her away. And they were just trying to get rid of her. Let me ask you, have you ever knocked and not got an answer? Have you ever prayed? You prayed specifically. You prayed for Jesus' sake and for his glory, and you still got bupkis? You didn't get an answer? wonder why. I wonder why Jesus didn't answer her. Maybe he didn't answer her because he wanted to see how bad she wanted it. She, he, he wanted to see how much she wanted it. And he does the same thing to us. A lot of times he holds back on answering our prayers because he wants to see how bad we want it. Verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then came she and worshiping, saying, Lord, help me. She's shameless. Hey, she, does, she knows these other disciples are talking about her, but she doesn't care. She's urgent. She's saying, Lord, help me now. It's got to be now. Help me now. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Didn't Jesus just call this woman a dog? Yes, he did. You see, that was a name that the Jews called non-Jews. They called Gentiles, they called them dogs. Man, if you call, you call some people a dog, man, they're going to get puffed up. Their pride is going to get the best of them, and they're going to walk away. But this woman didn't. This woman didn't walk away. She said, I don't care. Call me a dog. I know I'm not a Jew. Verse 27, and, he's, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She says, I don't care what you call me. I don't care what I am. I've got a daughter. This daughter needs to be healed. This daughter needs to be healed spiritually. And the crumbs from the master's table are better than any buffet that the world can set. You have to answer this prayer, God. You've got to answer it. I'm not letting you leave these coasts until you answer my request. This isn't a hazy request. This isn't a crazy request. And this definitely is not a lazy request. And I want you to notice the response of verse 28. Then. That word then, that's when Jesus saw her importunity. Then. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Sometimes in life you're going to come across a situation you can't do nothing about. You're going to be helpless in that situation. And you're going to step back and say, only God can do it. Only God can make it happen. You're going to be shameless and you're going to pray over and over. Even if the person you're praying about is shaking their fist in the hand of God, you don't care. You're going to pray anyway. You're going to pray urgent. And you're going to say, God, I need it now. I need it now. I need it now. And you're going to be consistent. You're going to say, God, I'm not going away. God, I'm not giving up. You better buckle in, God, because I'm coming. I'm not giving up on this. I'm going to be consistent about it. Turn to Exodus 32. This is the last place I'm going to have you turn to today. Exodus 32. While you're turning to Exodus 32, let me give you a little background on our story here. Moses and the Lord are up on the mountain. The Lord knows through his omniscience what's going on down in the camp. Down the camp, old Aaron has done made the golden calf. He's made the golden calf and... Now they've been, uh, you know, these children of Israel, they've been saved out of Egypt. They've seen firsthand the power of God, yet they still turned on God. God was done with them. God was through with them. And you know, Moses, he doesn't all know what all's going on. But I want you to listen to what God says in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people. You're going to see a little ping pong ball match between he, God and Moses here. He's going to say, they're thy people. And Moses is going to return, no, they're thy people. And God, they're thy people. No, 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 they're thy people. So there's a little ping pong uh, match going on here between God and Moses. For thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold the Abrahamic covenant, but Moses, you're a Jew, so out of you I'll make a great nation. But all those people down there, I'm done with them. I'm wiping them out. I'm killing them all. I'm going to wipe them all out and start over. God was officially done with them. You know, we hear messages like prayer changes us. And that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. At the end of the day, God really doesn't need us to pray because he already knows our needs. Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for me. Prayer does more for me than it does for God. But at the same time, I want to show you how a prayer of importunity can absolutely get the attention of God. God said, I'm done, Moses. And look what Moses said in verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? He sent the ping pong ball back. Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He said, hey, God, they're not my people. God, they're your people. And God, if you don't spare them, your name won't be good. He goes on to say, you know, what would the Egyptians think if you brought your people out here just to kill them? If you brought your people out here just to wipe them out? God, what about the covenant you made with Abraham and Isaac and Israel? What about those covenants, Lord? Verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Moses prayed with importunity 
and got God's attention. I believe God can change America, but he's not going to change it in the next election. That's not how it's going to change. It's going to change when our churches get a hold of this. We have churches in our country that pray specifically and pray with importunity. Then God can and will change this country. I read of a French captain, a French uh, sea captain. He was sailing around the seas and, and he was discouraged because he had, he had accomplished very little. This French sea captain was sailing one time and he, he came up against a, a big reef. The reef was as far as he could see on either side. He didn't see any way around it. So he turned his ship around and he went back to France. A couple of months later, there was an English sea captain. His name was Captain Cook. Captain Cook, a couple of months later, come across the same reef. But he decided he was going to sail around it. He, sail, he sailed around that reef, and what he discovered was the Great Barrier Reef. And when he got to the other side, Captain Cook had discovered Australia. Now Australia is part of the United Kingdom, changed the whole world. The point being, England is better than France. No, wait, wait. That's not the point. The point is, is that by pressing on and not giving up, Captain Cook achieved something that changed the world. Christian, don't pray hazy. Don't pray crazy. Don't pray lazy. Pray with importunity. Shameless, urgent consistency.